Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. A chill is in the air, and the Philadelphia Eagles are coming to town on Sunday. It is a Wednesday afternoon pod. Welcome Hallelujah. back. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Yes. Uh, it's been a somewhat normal week for the Indianapolis Colts. Granted, we're recording this just before 3 o'clock on Wednesday, and the kiss of death has been known to show up on Kevin's Corner. I am Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is across the way. Uh, the Colts just uh, are in the midst of wrapping up their first practice of the week. Um, Jeff Saturday says, screw an indoor game on Sunday. We're going outdoors, baby. Um, some flurries in the air here in Indy. Uh, the temp of my phone is 33 degrees out at practice. Um, they do have, what, one more outdoor game? I was thinking about that. One more outdoor game at the Giants on New Year's Day? I believe so. Of course, with the uh, weather that you're seeing for Buffalo and Cleveland this Sunday. 31 inches? That's absurd. I, I'm I'm in one of those re-survivor pools. Yeah. I've actually gotten on a nice run here. I think I've hit like, I don't know, I feel like it, it's like seven or eight straight that I've hit um and right now you got to pick two a week you've had to do that for the last couple weeks and so this week I'm picking Buffalo and Baltimore but I'm like man is Cleveland better built for that than Buffalo Uh, you know that's a little nerve-wracking uh but nonetheless an outdoor practice for the Colts um we will primarily focus on Shaquille Leonard today um but I would say this will probably be the most opponent-centric Wednesday pod we've had in a while, just because I feel like the opponent calls for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the familiarity with Nick Sirianni, who just got off a conference call with him, he is one of a kind to say the least. So we'll share some thoughts on that. Uh, and then Eddie, I kind of gone back and forth on this um, on our Tuesday morning show. Kevin and Query here locally, we had on Tony Dungy and Paris Campbell. I thought both interviews were were very good in their own different ways. The Dundry one is a little less time sensitive, so I might throw that in on a future pod. But for this week, we're going to put the Campbell pod in, uh, the Campbell segment in, just before Twitter questions. From an in-season phone interview standpoint, and I might be getting super media nerdy with people out there, this one ranks right up near the top for me in terms of just candor, Honesty. Uh, I think if you're a member of the Colts organization, you got to love how Paris Campbell represents um, what you want to be about. Um, and I thought he was honest and open about his incredibly roller coaster, probably more you know valleys than peaks. Certainly NFL career. Uh, his Matt Ryan thoughts, Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday opinions as well. I thought it was really really good. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. Yeah, I heard a little bit of it. I uh, haven't been able to fully dive into it yet. I've been busy with some work stuff, so I'll give it to a listen right before we throw it on the pod here. I can't wait to hear what he says. Um, heard some Campbell Soup references were yeah. made. Uh-huh. Yeah, Jake Query, who's my co-host. You guys have heard him on some of these interviews. Uh, his questions are definitely uh, unique, to say the least, but in all seriousness, again, I thought Campbell was really, really good, and um, I feel like we get a good amount of questions about him come Twitter time. 
curious to see what those contract negotiations will look like mm-hmm. in the offseason. Um, and I don't know if I had the opportunity to say it on Monday, but that touchdown he had against the Raiders, Eddie, and I, and I said this to him during the interview, we're starting to see more Ohio State Paris Campbell. Mm-hmm. In his NFL career, we had really kind of seen more of a possession type of Paris Campbell. We hadn't seen, like, give me the ball, let me make a play with that ball. And, you know, the Washington game a few weeks ago with the screen and the jet sweep and then the catch and run, he just pulled away, I thought, from a couple Raider defenders on Sunday. Um, again, that is a step in the really, really right direction for Paris Campbell. So. You can just see the confidence in him in terms of his health growing on the football Certainly. field and, and the confidence that Matt Ryan or Sam Ellinger have in getting him the football in open space. And I think the coordinators and Parks Frazier now and previously Frank Reich, they started to feel that trust in Paris Campbell that, okay, And this offense needs it. Yes. And they need it. You know, without Naeem Hines especially, you, you, you need it. Um, I think another thing to point out, you know, we're, what, 11 weeks into it. I don't know if he's been on the injury report this season. I thought he was once. I think he missed one day in camp due to a hamstring, you know, kind of flared up on him, and, and he missed a day. But uh, nonetheless, there's no way he's missed more than a practice or two this season yeah um, which again for mid-november and uh, his uh unfortunate injury riddled career uh, that's got to just be an incredible feeling so um yeah, yeah i hope you be, guys enjoy that yeah it'll be fun to watch his market not a ton of wide receivers are available this year but uh some unfortunate news uh coming again from Shaq leonard he'll go on ir he had a another surgery or procedure done um earlier this week and the team's pretty much ruled him out for the rest of the season your kind of initial thoughts on the situation yeah i know we had a twitter question on monday and i think if you guys heard me on monday um i wanted him shut down for the rest of 2022 no matter what yeah and, and at that point i think surgery had already been decided tuesday morning for that surgery um you feel absolutely awful for him eddie because i know how much the physical toll has weighed on him and I think his injury situation and this back situation is one of the more unique ones I've seen, certainly for for, for a prominent player uh, in my time covering the Colts. I mean, we're talking about a dude on the side of your building. Now, he's one of the four Colts up on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium. And now the question is, will he get back to the Hall of Fame caliber player that he was? Will he play again? Uh-huh. And how do the Colts handle his situation? And I know those are three very different questions, but I think those are all questions that we'll chat about here and we'll continue to monitor throughout 2023. Um, and the reason that I throw the career you know, into it, will he ever play again? Dude, we're talking about a back. Neurological Exactly. Damage. Nerve regeneration and a back. Every time you keep saying that, I keep thinking of QC Kinetics. <laughs> Which I think of QC Kinetics, a uh, a sponsor of our uh, of our morning show. There, um, you know, name athletes across all sports, Eddie, and the the back injury has just decimated their career. And these are not two hundred and fifteen pound linebackers that need peak athleticism to play at that level. You know, in a way, I'll never forget walking out of Bankers Life Fieldhouse the night that Victor Oladipo suffered that knee injury. And as word started to get out that this was not 
an ACL or not a meniscus, that this was, you know, the ruptured quad tendon. And it's unprecedented in the NBA for guys to come back from that. I thought to myself, oh my gosh, did we see the end of Victor Oladipo's career? And or did we see the end of him playing at that level? Yeah. Uh, Certainly it's been the latter. I mean, he's played not a whole lot, but he definitely has not gotten back to that level. And again, think of how Oladipo plays the game of basketball. Freak athlete, undersized two guard, not much of a jump shooter. He's got to attack the rim with that high level athleticism. In a way, I almost feel that with Leonard. Leonard is a super instinctual player. His instincts can't cover up him at 82% mm-hmm. or him at 74%, whatever that percentage is. And I think he pretty much said that last week, you know, about, hey, I've had to watch more film because I, I am a step slow. It's not firing that nerve. Um, and the pain that is just crippling through his leg, into his calf, into that ankle, is just not allowing him to move at that level that you know we were used to, and certainly the level that Chris Ballard saw at South Carolina State, and why he felt like he was worthy of such a high pick. Um, just to recap a little bit here, June seventh, he had the first back surgery. Go back to last June, June twenty twenty one. That's when he had the ankle surgery. So he had the first ankle surgery. Two months later, he signs the big contract. I don't know if I've ever shared this story about that surgery. So he was doing an appearance at a car dealership in Fort Wayne, and my girlfriend in Olivia, she used to work up in Fort Wayne. Now, this was before the announcement of his surgery. Okay. And this is June 2021 or uh, around that area? And it would have been, yeah, early June, maybe late May. Okay. And her TV station that she was working for in Fort Wayne, Wayne 15, they went out and they were shooting Leonard at this car dealership event that he was doing. I think he was doing autographs and meet and greet or something like that. He was in a walking boot, and I asked her about it. She goes, oh, they said he had some kind of minor cleanup. I was like, oh, that's news. Nobody knows this. Mm -hmm. Then about a month later, I was like, Makes sense. Yeah, and and you know the ankle injury has persisted for several years. Yes. Um, But, you know, any time... And, you know, here comes my, you know, 20-second comment about the medical field and my just lack of knowledge to the nth degree when it comes to anything medical-related. But anytime I see a player have a June surgery, I'm like, man, could this have been done earlier in the offseason? You know, if you have any sort of issue in the spring, you're not getting on the field and participating in whatever OTA program there is. So I look back at Leonard's last 15 months, Eddie, and I think, man, he had a June ankle surgery last year, and then he had a June back surgery this year. That, to me, is an indicator of they just have not been able to properly diagnose what's wrong with them. Yep. Um, And that's just so unfortunate. He signs a contract two months later. Um you know, he plays last season and puts up all pro turnover type numbers. There were obviously moments, and he will admit it, that he looked like um, he couldn't move and was almost stuck in mud, you know, trying to make some plays. It, it was just wild to watch how he operated there. Um, and now you look at it, and again, you go back to those three questions Will he play at the Canton like level he has played at? Will he play again? And then contractually, what are those ramifications? Yeah, um, And I think you just got to be honest with it. I know in the immediate aftermath that might be a little hard to look at, but he's 27 years old. He's signed through 2026. 
if you look at the cap numbers, basically you got to wait until the 2024 offseason for that dead cap hit to really come down to kind of a manageable level. Like he's going to be on your books you know, through next year. Um, I want to say it's like an $8 million dead cap hit after 2024, or I should say until 2024. Um, Obviously, they can do some restructuring in there to alleviate some of that. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. But unfortunately, and again, this is out of, and I'm not taking a shot at Chris Boward here, obviously not taking a shot at Shaquille Leonard, but it's turned into a bad contract. And and that's just where you're at right now with him. Again, the nerve regeneration aspect to it all, that's just what has me so concerned about can he and will he get back. Then you think about the admitted mental challenges that he's brought up with this injury. And there's been off-the-field stuff, but you know, I think the physical toll. That dude loves football so freaking much. When you take that away from him, and again, last year he played every game but one, Eddie. This is the year that he's going to go down of playing three games. You know how's that mentally going to be on him mm-hmm. compared to last year when again he played virtually every game. Um, this season he's not even going to sniff that. So how does he respond to that? Um, and I guess lastly, just overview of the linebacker position. And again, this is a really complicated one, but uh, I've got a lot of questions about a position that I usually haven't had questions about in this regime. You've got free agents and Bobby O'Karake and EJ Speed. How much money do you want to allocate towards linebacker moving forward? Zaire Franklin's under contract for two more years. Again, Leonard through 2026. Um, you know, at times this year when Shaquille Leonard has played, Bobby's come off the field. I've always thought that like EJ Speed was kind of the ideal will linebacker in the previous defense. Um, they've changed some of the roles with this defense. And then I think coaching staff related, uh, GM related, is Chris Bowers still here next year? He is held linebacker in higher regard than other people around the NFL. Yep. I mean, Roquan Smith in Chicago with Matt Eberflus is a perfect example. Eberflus goes there. Roquan Smith, a really high draft pick, pretty good football player. And they feel like in that Eberflus defense that he's not worthy of the second contract type money. So what I'm getting at is... If you make a change at GM, if you make a change, I mean, hell, even if Jeff Saturday's still the head coach, you know, is Gus Bradley definitely going to be here? Like these are all questions that impact how you handle, how you view linebacker, how you view the contracts you've handed out at linebacker, and then what do you think of Bobby Okereke and EJ Speed? Um, and that last part of just Ballard and Bradley and the defensive mindset and wanting to keep the system, that is kind of an overarching question that we'll come back to a lot here in the next couple of months. Does Ballard stay here? Do the offensive and defensive systems stay here? Or are they overhauled? And if so, change is inevitable. You see it everywhere. Again, the Bears are probably a perfect example of how much they have... Um, you know, move on from some guys, and a lot of them fall into the veteran, you know, kind of pay too much money at this point in their career for a team that is not going to make the playoffs sort of thing. So um, anything else on the Leonard front, Eddie, that, that I'm missing here? I don't think so. 
I think you've you've hit on everything. You've looked at, you know, the injury impact on him itself, the outlook past this year. I think Sucks because he's such a unique talent. Yeah, I mean, his ability to take away the football is, and again, if Devontae Adams makes that play, or let's go with Foster Moreau makes that play on Bobby Okereke on third and goal, Eddie, we're probably sitting here on the Monday podcast saying the defense couldn't finish. Yeah. They couldn't get the big sack. They couldn't get the big turnover. And Leonard has been involved with many of those throughout his career. Last thing, and I just thought of this, but this is Ballard-related. There's no position he has drafted better in his NFL GM tenure than linebacker. You've got hits in Leonard. I would, I think Okereke's a hit in the third round. Anthony Walker was a hit in the fifth round. I think EJ Speed, if given the opportunity, would qualify as that in round five. Zaire Franklin in round seven. So is there an element of Ballard that looks at Okereke and or Speed and says, I'm good. I can just go find the next, you know, I did it with Anthony Walker. I'll, I'll let you walk and I'll go find the next guy come, you know, early Saturday of the draft. And then there's going to be the fan reaction of, well, if you weren't going to keep Okereke, why didn't you move him at the deadline to get something in return? Sure, sure. And I mean, who knows? Maybe this Leonard situation thinks you got to keep Bobby or EJ. And again, are you putting too much money at linebacker? Just so many questions. And, mm-hmm. and I've never sat here and asked this many questions about linebacker, but the health of your, of your star of that group speaks for itself because it is such a murky, awkward situation of you know, surgery for two discs and a pinched nerve that's contributing to this ankle pain. And I'll never forget Leonard in late May, Eddie. Late May, him sitting up there. And that was when he was very candid, very open. I think this is honestly when he went from the Darius to, or maybe that was at the start of training camp. So maybe it wasn't the name change. But this is when he was really open about the mental hurdles he was going through last season. And he didn't think that surgery was needed anymore. And then just a couple weeks later, he has back surgery. And now here we are three months later or five months later, whatever it is. Need to know my calendar a little better. And he's got a second back surgery. It's just, this one seems even more complicated than the Andrew Luck calf ostrigoma or whatever the hell was that little bone he had in his body that 10% of Americans had or 10% of humans had, <laughs> whatever. But um, yeah, it just sucks. You hate it. I hate it for Leonard because um, it's a really, really difficult injury to come back from. And this is a guy that. You know, has dealt with a whole lot off the field and on the field, and um, how he reacts to all of that. Boy, you feel for the guy. Yeah, you do. All right, so now that we close that, let's open up the actual thoughts of the Philadelphia Eagles. They're coming off their first loss of the season, so the storyline of the undefeated Eagles coming to Indianapolis is no more, so that means all focus and concentration now can be put on Nick Sirianni and his return to Indianapolis. Did you watch Monday night? I did. Your uh, Just your overall thoughts. I thought Philly still looked good, but it was the players outside of Jalen Hurts that did not help him. Sure, Hurts had that one interception where he threw it in double coverage, but I thought the defense let the offense down. I thought the play calling offensively was just weird. They didn't look like the Phillies or the Eagles from the previous eight games, and they never really ran the ball, which is what they usually go by. And then yeah. 
didn't really try to get AJ Brown involved either. It was just bizarre to me. Yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting. They had the ball for 20 minutes, committed three turnovers in those 20 minutes. I guess they had a fourth at the end of the game, but that was you know kind of on the freaky lateral stuff. And they still scored 21 points. <laughs> like it was a reminder of how potent they can be. Again, in just 20 minutes of football with three turnovers in those 20 minutes, they still scored 21 points. And I know that their defense did give them a short field there. Um, that game opened up with them forcing a three and out and then a roughing into the punter. Washington gets the ball and they fumble on a strip sack. And then the Eagles recover three plays later. They're in the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt like it's like, oh boy. You know, I felt like watching that game, there was reasons, you know, good news and, and bad news, you know, moments from that game. I think the good news is you saw the blueprint of how you beat Philadelphia. They got beat up on a short week. As we're recording this right now, the injury report has not come out from Philly. I'm very interested to see what it looks like. I felt like of their 10 best players, I swear five of them went into the medical tent at some point on Monday night. We know Dallas Goddard is now out, one of the better tight ends in the league. But on IR. Um, Fletcher Cox was meeting the media earlier today. Long time, Eagle. Um, he played 70 snaps, which is a huge number. Their defense was on the field for 40 minutes. Fletcher Cox was super candid in his comments like, how do you think I feel? I feel like shit. I mean, it's it's a short week. We played a ton. We got beat up. Um, so if you want to look at it from a Colts good news standpoint, you're getting a banged up football team on a short week and a team that, and Nick Sirianni, and I asked him this today, I go, Nick, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt it watching Monday night. I felt like it was you guys against the Chiefs in 2019. That's what I felt like Washington did to you. And knowing Nick, I knew he wouldn't he would handle that very well. Nick's like, that's exactly exactly what I told our football team was this is what we did to Kansas City back in 2019, and now it's a copycat league, and everyone's going to try and do it from here on out. And if you look at the Colts, on paper, there's elements of personnel that you point to that think they can do what Washington did yeah. on Monday night. So I think that's your optimism. That's your good news. The bad news is... Yes, inevitably after a loss, I think the sense of urgency is going to be even higher for Philadelphia. Uh, I get the vibe that Nick Sirianni is a little frustrated. Uh, Let's put that politely about what happened to Frank Reich here in Indy. He'd use some more colorful language, but he would. Um, And so how does that play into it? If you look at the NFC East... There's no let up for Philly. I mean, they've got to make sure that they take care of business with how that division is of seven and two, the Giants and six and three, the Cowboys. And I'd say the other element of the bad news, and this is not Eagles related, but dude, they can't turn back to Carson Wentz anytime soon. Taylor Heineke's got to be the dude. I mean, yes. he is the dude if you saw him on the plane. Um, copying uh, Kirk Cousins, huh? He, he was. He, he was a little copying him. Um, so that just meant to me that. It's going to be a second round. It'll be it'll be a third round pick that you're going to get for the trade, and that you know kind of clinging hope to potentially it being a second rounder is not there. 
Um, and it's going to be a middle third round with the way they're moving, right, too. Right, five and five. I think I looked at it the other day. It's like 80 overall. It's worse than the Colts' third rounder, <laughs> which yeah. would have been the Colts. I think Denver has the Colts' third rounder for the Nick Cross trade. Uh, what else? 50 first half plays for Washington. Uh, most for any NFL team this season. Yeah. I mean, they controlled it. They finished off those drives. And then they did enough in the turnover department. And I believe Philly had three turnovers all year entering Sunday. Yeah, they're they're still num- they're still number one in the NFL on turnover margin. Right. At plus thirteen. And again, they had four giveaways on Monday night. They had three all year entering Monday. Um so that's pretty much Eagles related. Um, again, they the, signed Limval Joseph. I don't know if he signed that too. Yeah, so that, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Jordan Davis, the big dude from Georgia, who we all watched at Georgia, and you know, kind of became this fo- folk hero. Acts like he's not a good player. He's a damn good player. Basically, he's just been their space eater in the middle of their front, and it's just dominated and ha- has really been a key cog. High ankle sprain a few weeks back, and ever since then, it's like 145 on the ground, 155 on the ground, 160 on the ground in Washington. That was just a slow death by them, moving the ball. 49 carries in total, 152 yards rushing. So, yeah, okay, thank you. What's that yards per carry? 3.1. So, yeah, it was just kind of a, literally it was Army and Navy. Like, hey, we'll get it to fourth and one or third and two, and we'll move the chains, and that's what they did. Um, So I think that is just an aspect to um, point out there. Another question that Sirianni obviously got a lot today in his conference call with us is just, who has the advantage in this chess match? Because it is the rare AFC-NFC matchup where all of a sudden you've got a ton of staff familiarity. Yeah. I tend to think the Eagles have a little bit more of an advantage. You know, Nick Sirianni knows this offense extremely well. And Jonathan Gannon, as defensive coordinator, he was the DB coach here. So it's not like he was running the exact same. He's not running Matt Eberflus's system in Philly. But he knows personnel. And yes, they haven't been here for two years, but I got to think that helps them. A couple other kind of chess match, you know, game within the game sort of storylines. Rodney McLeod is with the Colts. Starts a strong safety. Was in Philly last year. His football intellect is through the roof. I would think he is going to be very helpful for Matt Ryan, Parks Frazier, Gus Bradley, and whoever else wants his ear yeah. this week. Um, that's probably in the positive direction for the Colts, of course, in the negative direction. And again, I don't think we spent much time on this on Monday, but I am curious. The Raiders prepared for Sam Ellinger all week long. And then lo and behold, here comes Matt Ryan. Well, this week, the Eagles are going to prepare for Matt Ryan the entire week. So uh, that was an advantage the Colts had last week with the Raiders, along with just Vegas saying, watch how dysfunctional we are. We'll help you out in that area. Their linebackers are really banged up. They are preparing for the quarterback they're going to see on Sunday afternoon. Um, I think the Eagles have a bigger advantage when it right. comes to this game because you factor in A.J. Brown. He has been in the in the AFC South for the last three, four years. I can't remember the exact number with Tennessee, and yeah. he's had a lot of success. Against the Colts. Same draft as Paris Campbell, so Correct. 2019 class. And a guy who's not very well-known uh, in, in Philly, but he was known here in Indy, and Zach Paschal. He's also there in Philly, too. And I think... it's a good point, but I, I kind of forgot about Paschal. Yeah, I think... Nick Sirianni's 
son. Yeah, and Pascal's understanding of the run game and the blocking they want to do and to create holes for JT, I think, could create some a little bit of an issue, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Parks Rainer, uh, Frazier calls and manages this game uh, with the familiarity, like you mentioned, of Nick Sirianni and the other players against Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, we know this well-documented with Pascal, but just what the trust coaching staff's had in him, you know he has a tremendous grasp of what you know, the Colts are trying to do offensively um, and, and knows personnel. And if Frank Reich had a negative bone in his body, which I don't think he does, oh, if I'm Frank Reich, I think I'd be dialing up Nick Sirianni this week. Sorry, Parks Frazier. I know I was the officiant in your wedding, but for one week here, I got to go against you <laughs> on that front. Um, just a couple of other um Eagles-related stuff. Oh, two weeks ago, Damian Pierce had 27 carries for 139 yards. That's an average of 5.1. Yeah, that was a Thursday night football game when Houston hung in there throughout. I don't know if this has any bearing, but I always think it's something that I've done in years past. Like when Phillip Rivers would play against... You know, coordinators he had gone up against a lot. I always kind of looked up that stuff. Did he have a lot of success against them? You know, how did he typically fare with them? I did that with Carson Wentz last year when they had some of those crossover matchups. Matt Ryan faced the Eagles in the opener last season. Uh, again, that's Jonathan Gannon's first game as defensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni's first game as head coach. Um, now, with the caveat of he was with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, they got smoked. 32 to 6 in that opener. Matt Ryan was 21 of 35 for 164. No touchdowns, no picks. They did not blitz very much, but if you go back and look, um, probably one of the more erratic days Ryan has had, certainly last season. Um, that might have absolutely zero to do with Sunday, but I always mention it good, bad, and different. So I'll throw it in here. Um, obviously, the personnel has changed a whole lot around him. Uh, since that matchup in week one last year. Anything else Eagles-related before we hit to uh, Paris Campbell? Um, my next point is actually about Paris Campbell. Oh, I think the recent development of him benefits the Colts hugely in this game because of the two cornerbacks for Philly, okay. Darius Slay and yep. Jonathan Bradbury, both of which primarily play on the outside. Neither of them really go into the slot much, if at all. Mm-hmm. So that... When you factor that in, and those two have been the best secondary so far in the NFL. And they're a little banged up behind those two at, at corner. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, if neither of them are going in the slot and you have Pittman on the outside and you're able to get uh, Campbell in the slot, you've got to exploit that matchup whenever he gets one-on-one coverage because I don't know how you don't know how often Pittman is going to be able to win against two of those elite cornerbacks in Bradbury and Darius Slay. Um, and you certainly don't know who else is going to be on the other on the other side of Pittman either. No, I think that's really really well put. Um, and you got to think there will be some chances to make some plays against man coverage. You know the Linval Vol Joseph signing. I mean they are going to commit heavy numbers early and downs to try and stop the run game. And Chauncey Gardner Johnson, their safety has been elite in taking the ball away this season. Six interceptions. Yeah, um, all in the last five games which is incredible. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, there's a little juice here, Eddie. Uh, I think there's just natural juice anytime you play a team that was just undefeated. Um, the Jeff Saturday angle, the fact that you just won last week, and we're kind of reaching that point if you look at the schedule 
There's seven games to go. The Colts are four, five, and one. In my opinion, you got to get to nine to have a chance. So you got to go five and two. If you look at the schedule, two games that you just are non-start, like you have to have those games, are Steelers and Texans at home. Yeah. Okay. So if you get those two, six, five, and one, that means you got to go three and two in the other five. The other five would be home to Philly, at Cowboys, at Vikings, at Giants, home to Chargers. So home to Eagles, home to Chargers. You need to go three and two in those five. I get that right now you're about a six point underdog, but this is one of those ones that, you know, it probably goes without saying, but I just want to kind of lay it out for everybody. If you don't get this, and who knows, maybe by the time you're listening to this, the Titans have already lost on Thursday night football. Knowing the Titans, they'll probably show up and, you know, win in Lambeau. But um, this is one that, yeah, at some point you're going to have to steal a couple of them if you want a shot to, um, you know, turn the season around like no other and make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just by the way that these Eagles players have been talking, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, they are ready. I mean, they are already hungry enough to go back out there on the field. They they wanted to go back out there after Monday night's game immediately and get another game going because they were just so ticked off on how they played. Uh, And it seems like they are embracing this adversity that they have to overcome now after, you know, falling for the first time this year. And that goes back to the good and bad news from Monday night, Eddie. The good news for Colts fans is that physical toll was real. I mean, Philly got beat up in that game. And again, keep an eye on that injury report and just in general, if you're able to continue to do that, third fourth quarter Sunday how much do they have left in the tank the bad news side of it would be right there you're going to get a mentally very locked in football team Sunday at one o'clock uh you ready to go into Paris Campbell now unless you have anything else to add here let's do it again this is Paris Campbell with myself Kevin Bowen and Jake Query on our Tuesday morning show hope you enjoy it Jake I think in terms of individual feel-good stories for Colts, Colts players, I guess, in 2022, I'm not sure if anyone tops what Paris Campbell has done so far this season and being available and I think showing um, a lot of the signs that uh, we saw at Ohio State, certainly Indiana fans saw it, and watching him play at Ohio State, and uh, now we're seeing it on a really consistent week-in, week-out basis here at the NFL level. And in year four, Paris Campbell joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Paris, good morning. Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We hope you are as well. Today technically is an off day. We heard Jeff Saturday say victory Monday, (laughs) see on Wednesday. And I think we heard that cheer back in Indy um, from you guys in the locker room in Vegas. What is an off day to you? Man, the off day is just uh, another day to get an advantage step for the week. Uh, it's a day to take care of my body, man. Um, you know, relax, get away from ball, um, but don't get too out of tune. So, like I said, just take care of my body. Um, you know, fuel the right way, recover the right way, and uh, I think I, I think of an off day as an advantage day. Paris, I want to go back a little bit on on the clock here, and I'll use kind of a, a an example of this. I don't recall when it was. Kevin, when did we do the knockout with Paris Campbell at the Pacer game? Was that last year? Yeah, sometime December? last year, yeah. Yeah, so, last year, yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. I try and, and, to forget about that, Paris. Yeah, you I think I missed seven straight layups to start Kevin was gone early, so you wouldn't remember that he was in the game. Now, it came down basically to myself, you, and Fred Jones, who was the ringer, yep. right? Yep. You, you were yep. pretty good shooter. Like, the three of us had a pretty good little rhythm going there in terms of our free throws. Absolutely. But I, okay. I, I thought it was applicable to your career so far. And by that, I mean – and I hope you don't get offended when I say it this way, but I will admit no, to no, it. No. <laughs> you, you hung around longer than I expected you to. And by that, I yeah. mean there were times where I wondered if Paris Campbell was going to be a reliable player for the Colts because of injuries primarily. Mm-hmm. For you personally, can you take us through psychologically whether or not you also had those same doubts and how you fought through them? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I 100% had those same doubts. Um you know, obviously, rookie year, um, the injuries that I had, I had, what, three different surgeries that year. Uh, it was the first th- first time I've ever had to, you know, have anything surgically repaired or anything of that nature or missed time. Um, so that year was tough for me, but I didn't really truly, you know, feel kind of the doubts yet. Um, I think my second year going in, you know, excited to be back, be healthy, um, going in, and we played Jacksonville week one that year, had a good game. You know, I could kind of see the, the tide turning for myself, and then week two, um, tear my, M- my MCL, PCL. Um, you know, that by far was the hardest thing that I had to endure um, as a football player. And, um, you know, that rehab was so tough. Uh, I really couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel just because, you know, I was um, going through so much, and, you know, I didn't didn't seem to be making progress. Uh, with my knee. Um, and so I had doubts of, you know, will I be able to get back to the player that I once was? Uh, will I get back to, you know, being able to kind of come prove myself in this league? Will I get my opportunity to do that? And, um, you know, I think year two is really when those doubts set in. Um, but the one thing, well, the two things that really uh, kept me on a positive note is number one, my faith. Um, and number two, my family, man. Those two things go hand in hand for me. Um, you know, I, I'm really big on those two things, and uh, that's what kind of carried the, the, the load for me just, you know, when I was struggling mentally, uh, struggling physically. Um, and then, obviously, you know, going into year three, um, having to kind of, you know, almost reinvent myself after the knee injury because, man, like you got you to gotta do so much to get back from a knee injury. Um, and, you know, kind of going through camp in the first five weeks of the season, uh, it was tough for me, man, because I really, really w- never had a, a comfortability level that I, I felt, you know, good at. Um, and so, obviously, you know, week six, um, you know, scoring the long touchdown uh, versus the Texans, but uh, getting hurt on the play. It was kind of just like, oh man, like this, this is happening again. Like, you know, like is this, is this really worth it? Almost, you know what I mean? Like, is, is everything that I've gone through really worth it? Um, and I just kind of, you know, seen that door close again, once again on me in year three. And um, I, to be honest, those same doubts set in, but they didn't set in as hard because what I had gone through with my knee, man, like I felt like I could overcome anything. Um, and that was a big thing for me. Like I was able to stay positive uh, through my foot injury in, in year three. And, um, you know, I, was, I just was able to stay motivated through it all. You're showing up on my time hop today, not to bring up this memory, was your broken hand and the, and the picture of that? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I say this in all yeah. <laughs> sincerity. It's one of the grossest pictures I've ever seen. So, No, nah, it was uh, brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, I, I wonder if you are, are, are feeling this, because I feel it watching you play. Like, 
and again, Paris Campbell joins us right now. You go back to the Jacksonville game, back to the Tennessee game last month. Like you had big catch outings in both of those games. But I look at the two plays you made against Washington, one on the screen, one on that jet sweep, which you took for like a 30-yarder, the touchdown last week. I look at those plays and think to myself, that's Ohio State, Paris Campbell. Like that is, I think, what I think everybody kind of envisioned when you're drafted. Do you feel like you've now shown in these last couple of games like almost a different gear than we've seen in in flashes through your first couple seasons? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know that, like, you know, you say people, people, people thought they would see that. Uh, you know, in the league, and shoot, I thought I would see that in the league. You know, what I mean, like, mm-hmm. I know the type of player that I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, those plays, you know, show you know the type of player that I can be, and um, that's that's just what I've been wanting to get back to, man. That's what I've I've dreamed of doing in this league, man. Just being a playmaker, uh, obviously being available for my team. Um, but you know, what I'm saying like it's it's been a long road. It's been a long road, but. Um, I can 100% say that, like, I'm I'm playing right now. Like, I have the most confidence that I've ever had in the league. I'm having the most fun that I've ever had in the league. And obviously, you know, that's all just because I'm available, you know, I'm healthy, um, and I'm able to go out there and make those plays. And, you know, my coaches are giving me opportunities. So you were, like, in kindergarten when he was in high school, but you went to the same high school as LeBron, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how often did LeBron come back and hang out at your high school and – like how many times did you meet LeBron? Yeah, well, should I actually met uh, LeBron a couple of times? Uh, you know, he came back during the NBA lockout. He actually came and practiced with our football team. Like he came out there in full gear, and his dude was out there practicing running routes, snagging footballs, like it was like it was nobody's business. <laughs> uh, dude looked like Megatron out there. But uh, <laughs> so that was one time, and then he came back. Um, he used to come back to a lot of games, uh, you know, come and watch games. And um, then my senior year, he came back and did a whole, like, Nike um, unveil for, uh, for the uniforms. Like, he got new, new uniforms for every sports team. Um, and he did, like, an unveil for the um, the football team, our uniforms. We had, like, a black alternate that year. So that was pretty dope. And then um, I always would catch some of his games uh, when he was in Cleveland. So I would be able to link up with him after the games, you know, talk with him here and there. So it was pretty cool. When you think about those times when you were in high school and you're getting ready to go to Ohio State and what you were able to do at Ohio State versus what you're doing now for Indianapolis, did you have to change your mindset in terms of the style of receiver you were going to be? Because I And maybe I'm wrong here, Paris Campbell, but I thought of you as like, okay, you're going to be the deep ball behind the defense receiver for the Colts. And I feel like you, maybe by necessity, you changed exactly what style of receiver you are and found a really good niche in that. Am I off base with that assessment? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that you're off base uh, just because, you know, uh, my rookie year and a little bit of my third year, you could, you could kind of see that, you know, I would run a lot of deep routes and uh, run a lot of, you know, post routes, pylon routes, whatever that may be. Um, but I feel like I was kind of able to bring my Ohio State, which, you know, I mean, everyone kind of labeled me as a gadget guy coming out of college. I feel like I was able to kind of add that gadgety, whatever, gadgety player um, just kind of to my short and intermediate route game. Um, you know, I think my routes, as far as, you know, short and intermediate routes have gotten so much better since I've gotten into the league. Um, like, I'm really comfortable playing slot receiver in this league, man. And um, I just feel like I, I was kind of to 
able to kind of intertwine the two of, you know, the gadget player and, you know, just becoming a, a natural receiver. So I think it's just, you know, both of those two together. Were you surprised or in any way frustrated when the Colts made a change at quarterback? Um, no, I wasn't I wasn't frustrated. Um, yes, I was surprised uh, just because uh, just – of the guy that you know Matt Ryan is, and you know the the rapport that he has, and the, I mean this guy's gonna be a Hall of Famer one day. You know what I mean? So uh, definitely was surprised with the decision, um, but I wasn't frustrated. You know what I mean? Because at this level, like we're professionals, man. Like you know there there could be a change at any time. You know at the end of the day, we still gotta go out there and perform. You know what I mean? So um, wasn't frustrated. You know I was happy for Sam. You know because he was getting an opportunity uh, to go show what he can do. Um, I felt for Matt though because. Um, and Matt knows this. I, I, me and him have so many deep conversations uh, just over the course of the year. But like Matt's a big reason why you know I have my confidence back right now. Like he he's truly a a, a real big reason why that's happened for me. Uh, just because you know this guy's believed in me since he stepped foot in Indianapolis. Man, like he's had my back since he stepped foot in Indianapolis, and he knows that. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, surprised yes, frustrated no. Were you surprised by the coaching change? Um, to be honest with you, uh, no, because of just how the season, you know, how, how the season was going. Um, and to be honest, like, I, I still, like, feel that the players had something to do with that coaching change, you know what I mean? Just because at the end of the day, like, you know what I'm saying, anyone can lose their job in, the, in this profession, and at the end of the day, like, it's about winning. And if you're not doing that, um, then, you know, there's, there's bound up, you know, for bad stuff to happen. So, and just the way, like, that we were losing. You know what I mean? We were losing some close games. And then to go out <clears throat> in New, New England and just have, you know, that bad of an offensive performance, um, I just figured some type of change would come because I'm not, you know what I'm saying, I'm not naive to the nature of the business. Was it needed? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that it was needed, um, you know what I mean, because, you know, I'm not the one that's, you know, in that chair making those decisions. Um, all I can do is – continue to, you know, play my 111th on the field, uh, continue to do my job, uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who, you know, has the head coaching job. Like, I, like as players, we're, we're like I said, we're professionals, uh, so we got to come to work regardless. And at the end of the day, our job is to do our job, <clears throat> make sure we're doing it to the best of our ability, and I, at the end of the day, get wins. So it doesn't it doesn't matter who's at the head coaching helm. Like, we, we've got to come to work regardless. Paris Campbell with us here again, year four for him. Um the Matt Ryan leadership element, correct me if I'm wrong, Paris, but when Chris Ballard came in last Monday and told you guys that Frank Reich was being let go, initially he did not mention that Jeff Saturday would be the interim. Um, in that meeting, did, did did Matt Ryan speak up? Uh, yes, he did. And, um, you know, he, he pretty much just laid it out there for us. Like, basically what I've been telling you guys, like, at the end of the day, like, we're professionals. Like, We've been hit with so much adversity as a team throughout this course of the season. And, you know, as a man, much beyond a football player, but as a man, like when you go through adversity, it's all about how you respond. And so he basically challenged all of us as players and as men, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what are, what are, what are we going to do? How do we want to be remembered? Um, obviously, you know, it's kind of the, 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 the laughing stock of the, of the NFL, like with all the chaos that was going on. So like, 
how do you really want to be remembered? Is that is that how you want people to remember you? Is that what your legacy is that what you want your legacy to be? Um, so he just challenged us, man, and um, I think every man took a took a look in the mirror at themselves and you know really asked themselves what can I do to be better? And um, you know you felt it just through last week. I know it's only been a week, but what have you thought about the tone um, that Jeff Saturday has brought to your football team? Man, I, I've loved it. I've absolutely 100% loved it. Um, he just brings a different level of accountability um, just each and every day, man. Like, he, number one is he, he's going to keep it 100% with you. Like, he's going to tell you the real. And um, just the way that he holds each each and every player accountable, no matter if you're the, the top of the roster or you're the bottom of the roster, like, everyone has a job to do. And he's going to let you know if you're if you're failing to do your job or if you're doing a good job. You know what I mean? Um, and like, one thing that I appreciated about Jeff is, like, he came in day one, and he, he just being himself, man. Like, he's not trying to be someone he's not. Um, he, he's that fire. You can see that, that fiery player that he used to be. You can see that just kind of coming back out just with his passion for the game. Um, and you can truly tell that he wants us to succeed, to, wants us to succeed and wants us to win. And, um, you know, he just brings a different level of passion, different level of accountability to, to the team. So I, I appreciate it. I love it. Paris, if I'm reading between the lines here, and I want to make very clear, uh, you know, I think you, uh, I, Frank Reich is a very good man. I don't think any, nobody questions that, and I'm not saying that, that you're not saying that. Absolutely. But, but often in sports, they say that that coaches need to, no matter who it is, every four or five years, guys just need a new voice. Was it in fact just time for a new voice, for a new energy? Is that a safe statement? Listen, um, you know. All due respect to, to Frank Reich because Frank Reich is an, an amazing person. He's an amazing coach. And, you know, I never want that to ever be forgotten. You know what I mean? Because that, that that's just fact. You know what I mean? And um, Frank was a guy that believed in me. To it. Frank's a big reason why I'm, I'm even in Indianapolis. You know what I mean? So um, Frank, Frank was my guy. And, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, we weren't getting the job done as as a team, as an organization. So you know they may change, um, and I'm not saying that you know Frank is a bad a bad guy. Like I'm saying, like he had a bad voice or he didn't bring the same intensity that Jeff brings, because everyone has their own style of coaching. You know what I mean? And whether you respond well to one way or the other way, I mean that's just based on the type of player that you are. Um, so I don't, you know what I mean? I don't want this to be a competition of Frank versus Jeff because that's definitely not what it is. Um, but Jeff has definitely brought um, a different, you know, sense of urgency, and that may be just because of, you know, where we're at as a team, as an organization, um, or that, you know, I mean, that's just who he is. Um, and I, honestly, I think it's both of those. Um, but I don't want, you know, what I'm saying I don't want to get into Frank versus Jeff because that's definitely not what it is. Have you ever been to Paris? I have not. I have, that's a gold of mine, though. <laughs> yeah, you can go to Paris, Illinois. Paris, Illinois is like two and a half hours away. You can go there and just tell people you're in Paris, right? <laughs> that's a Should you get a, you know, Campbell's, I think, is like a big NFL sponsor, and maybe I'm naive to this. Yeah. Should you get an endorsement with Campbell's? That seems like that would make sense. They have NFL commercials. Yeah. Hey, man, you guys don't even know. That's been a goal of mine since I was a little kid, man. Like, I've seen, you know, NFL, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen NFL players on there with their moms, you know, right. the commercials and all that stuff. Like, I, like that's a that's a dream of mine. So I'm, hoping, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they've been watching some cold football. I'm picturing Jerome Bettis, like, you know, with his chunky suit. What's here. your favorite Campbell's suit? That's what I want to know. I'm a clam chowder guy. What is your favorite Campbell's suit? 
I'm, I'm a classic chicken noodle guy, man. All right, there you go. Don't mess with success right, right there. Uh, Paris, we will end with this and really appreciate your time this morning. Um, you've obviously, frankly, have been through hell um, physically throughout your NFL career. A lot of chicken noodle soup. Do you think, do you think about the contract year that you're in right now? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I would be... I would be naive if I said I didn't. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I, that's that's just the real of my situation. You know what I mean? And um, obviously, I've been through so much, and you know, I've kind of seen you know the the receivers that got drafted in the same year as me. That's that's in my draft class. I've seen them get their payday, which you know they're all some of my closest friends, and I'm all you know happy for them. Send congratulations to them. Um, but you know, my story's different, man, and. The thing about me is, like, I like I won't change, and I wouldn't change anything that I've gone through. I wouldn't change my story because, you know, at the end of the day, like, no matter what happens at the end of the season, um, good or bad, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to have a story for just so many people across, you know, the platform. Like, not, not even football players. Just so many people who, you know, may just be going through something and just feel like they can never catch a break. Like... My story is going to speak volumes to so many people, man, and, and, and that's that's what I'm grateful for, man. I'm grateful um, just to be a vessel for God, man, just for him to do his work, man. And I, I couldn't ask for more. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't ask for more because I'm blessed. I'm healthy. I'm, um, you know, I'm making plays. And uh, th- ultimately, that's all I want to do, man. I want to help my team win. I want to be available. And, uh, you know, God's allowing that to happen right now, man. And, I, and I'm just so thankful for that. Paris, I'm a huge Clemson fan. They're not going to make the playoff. I know that. Nobody's going to beat Ohio <laughs> State. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, I, I, I'm not an Ohio State fan, no offense. But nobody's <laughs> nobody's touching Ohio State, are they? I mean, honestly. No, nah, no. Nah, I mean – we, we, you know what I'm saying? We still got to play the team up north in Michigan, man. We still got to get revenge on them from last year. Um, shoot, I feel like I lost that game when they lost last year, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, nah, I, I just I just hope they, uh, they they win that game and then they roll in the playoffs, man, because it's been a while since we won a natty, man. So I'm, I'm pulling for those guys, man. They, they look good, though. Paris, I feel like any time we have one of your teammates on, we kind of end it with um, hope for continued good health. And I, I, I mean that even more for anybody. Um, for you right now, with the rest of your contract here and the season you've had, hell of a year, man. I can only imagine what it means. And I really appreciate your honesty with everything this morning. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. I really do. That was Paris Campbell, again, on the um, Kevin and Corey morning show on Tuesday. I'll go back to what I said earlier, Eddie, just cannot appreciate his candor more I mean on a variety of topics um, I thought he handled it beautifully I thought he's very respectful and he just I think what we want in any interviewee subject just don't be a robot yeah don't be a robot and I get it at times you probably want to be a robot or you I mean Matt Ryan go watch a Matt Ryan press conference you'll hear Matt Ryan talk for 12 minutes and you'll and you'll walk away from that being like did he say anything? That he hasn't already said before. <laughs> right. It just, you know, and that's just how some people operate. You know, there's more of a politician side to them. Uh, I got some real, genuine stuff from Paris Campbell there. So thank you to him for it. I said at the start of the year, Eddie, I thought it was a mistake the Colts made and how they addressed wideout betting on Paris Campbell to stay healthy. Because, again, injuries, just to me, is just foolish to – bet on it like that but Campbell has shown you a lot I mean there are moments this year that you know oh boy you know no Pittman no Pierce that's that's too much for him to carry on that plate but um, as the years moved along he settled into that nice slot role 
And again, a few more big plays here in recent weeks. And at the very least, he's earned a 2023 spot in the NFL. And that was not a guarantee in August. I mean, I know a lot of people, we got so many questions this offseason. You know, you got to cut him. Why is he still on the roster? I was like, let the rookie contract play out. It's a small cap hit. It's like a million. Um, And let's see what you have. I mean, hell, Ben Banigou's still around. Might as well give Campbell a chance to try and stay healthy um, (laughs) because he's actually flashed a little bit there. But, um, yeah, again, thank you to Paris Campbell. He's certainly playing his way for a second contract. He is. And you know what? You know, maybe to the market value where is there going to be a team around the league that tacks on a second year? To that second contract. And these are discussions we can have here in a few months, but just stuff that I did not think we would be discussing in mid-November. Uh, Twitter question number one, if you're ready. Yes, let's do it. Comes from Peyton. Is Rodney Thomas our new starter? Thank you. Love the pod man. Big love from Texas. Oh, I love it, Peyton. Love that. Uh, well, Julian Blackman is out snapping him. Did Julian Blackman start the other day? I thought so. He... um. He definitely is out-snapping him. Um, and right now, Rodney McLeod plays every snap of strong safety. Free safety is a little bit more of a split. Again, I think Julian has started, similar to Isaiah Rodgers and Brandon Faison, you're starting to see more Blackman than you are Rodney Thomas. Blackman did start. Um, I know he tweeted out the snap counts on Monday morning here. Julian Blackman played 45 of 70 snaps. The other 25 free safety snaps went to Rodney Thomas. So there's your split there at safety. It's kind of wild how the season has unfolded at safety. Yeah. You know, I mean, in March, you're thinking Kari Willis and Julian Blackman don't need to worry about safety. Now, all of a sudden, it's gone from a Kari Willis retirement to Rodney Thomas is the, I should say, Nick, Nick Cross gets benched. After starting week one and two, you go to McLeod. Rodney Thomas all of a sudden gets inserted when Blackman injures his ankle against the Chiefs. He looks very solid. And now you've kind of gone back to a little bit more of Blackman there. Obviously, we saw the slip on the Blackman or on the uh, Adams touchdown. But And you um, haven't seen much of Nick Cross really since no, week two. I, boy, I don't. I mean, have you seen him for more than a snap or two? So No. Yeah, it's been an interesting year at safety. Evan is next. Uh, hey, Kevin, I may get called a fake Colts fan for this, Ooh. but I can't stand being a fan of a mediocre team, and that's where this team is headed this season. I'm a huge believer in either playing consistently high-level football or being terrible and getting a high draft pick. After the Saturday hire, I was looking forward to going 2-6 and six or 1-7 and seven to end the season, and while that's still possible, after Jeff Saturday's win in Las Vegas – uh, on Sunday, the Colts are trending towards being in that middle of the pack range where they either get bounced in the wild card or divisional round or barely miss the playoffs and end up with a 15 to 18 range pick. Um, if they want to get back to the top of the mountain, they should have taken a page out of the Pacers playbook and tanked because look where it got them. Evan, thank you. I don't, I have, will never utter the phrase fake Colts fan. On this podcast, there's no you are not that Evan. Um, Just the beautiful thing of fandom, baby, that we've talked so about. So true. We're debating fandom here, and again, there's different types of fans all over. As far as the tanking point, it's really hard to tank in the NFL. It is very hard. Um, I guess if you would have committed to Ellinger for the rest of the year, maybe that is a sign more to tanking than Matt Ryan. 
But again, it's very difficult to tank in 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 this sport. Um, Starting Matt Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you could certainly argue that. What I hear from Evan, honestly, is probably a little bit of a side of the fan and Kevin Bowen. I am a believer that as a fan, what I think you should want to see, and I don't want to sound like I'm getting on my fan soapbox here. Um, you choose to cheer how you want to cheer. Whatever makes you tick, whatever makes you feel that fandom, you continue to do that. But what I am hopeful for in my fandom is I want to see my team have a chance at perennial runs, sustained success, and I walk into multiple off-seasons in a row and think, we can do that next year. We can get on a January run football. Um, in basketball, it's whatever, April, May sort of playoff run. You know, my collegiate fandom, it's a little bit more difficult, but obviously if you sustain it, you're recruiting at a really high level. That's why Marcus Freeman and that hire was very intriguing to me and still is because if he can recruit on a really perennial basis, I feel like Notre Dame can almost create some roster depth that maybe they didn't have under Brian Kelly, even though Kelly did so many good things in getting them back to being at that, you know, second tier behind the Alabamas of the world in college football. Um, You know, as far as the mediocre draft pick quarterback, I find it ironic, but not shocking at all, to look at the AFC right now, Eddie. Mm -hmm. Currently, you have nine of the 16 teams in the AFC above 500. The Colts are in 10th, just below 500. You look at those nine teams, all nine quarterbacks were drafted in round one of those nine teams. Eight of the nine were drafted by the team they're playing for. Ryan Tannehill being the only one that wasn't. And if you look at the nine, I believe Lamar Jackson is the only one not to be taken in the top half of round one. So, to me, it's just yet another reminder, and I know you guys have heard me say this endlessly, of the importance in finding that QB and finding it in round one coming up in April. Um, So, Evan, I, I totally understand where you're at with it. People are torn. People are torn. I mean, you look at the upcoming draft, and I don't want to dive too much in this, but right now the Eagles are on pace to have a top five pick. So that's the Saints pick, is that right? Yeah. And sure, it's going to cost you a a blank ton to get up there, but let's say there's a team in those first three picks that doesn't decide to go quarterback and one of... Got to think Chicago would be in that mix, too. Do they have a high pick? I'm trying to think of what they've traded. Um. I mean, Justin Fields is, is going to be the guy, so they, they don't need a quarterback that high. I don't think so. So, I mean, there you go. If one couple, of those couple candidates yeah. that you can wheel and deal with, and certainly you have relationships with both of those organizations. Um, so, yeah, I just stuff to. That, that's a good point you brought up. Stuff to keep in mind. And listeners, if you have your bingo card out, you can uh, you can stamp Notre Dame football reference because uh, he's made it. <laughs> yeah, apologies on that, but not really. Senior day, beat Boston College and then go beat USC. Uh, we haven't had a Tiger Woods reference in a while either, so I, I, I'm proud to say I, I bring that to the pod. Um, 
Next question is from Neil. I've uh, been watching your podcast for over a year now, and I got my girlfriend into watching every episode. Whoa, Neil. Thank you for watching on YouTube, by the way. Hope you appreciate the hard editing work that I do. <laughs> uh, his question is, what do you think the biggest contribution to the Frank Reich firing was? Thank you from Tampa Bay, Florida. I mean, you got to start praying for the girlfriend, right? you imagine? That she listens to us? Yeah. I mean, dear Lord. Neil, you got a special woman with you. Congrats on that. Um, or teach us how to convince our significant <laughs> others how to do things. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, what led to the Frank Reich firing, stale, poor results on offense? I think you go back to last year, the Carson Wentz situation oh, yeah. was really damning. I would say big picture within his tenure, just the lack of success within the division. Um, so I think those things, probably division-related and the Carson Wentz situation, probably top the list. But then you look at this year, the trend of how your offense is playing, you know, all the halftime deficits, all the opening drive, mm-hmm. scoreless possessions. Uh, and then the cherry on top was just what you saw in New England. Of And I think Campbell said that with us earlier. You know, Paris Campbell is very honest in saying when you have that embarrassing of a performance – People are going to lose their jobs. Um, and again, I thought Campbell was great in saying, you know, the locker room deserves a lot of fault for this. You, know, you can't fire all 53 in there. But, um, yeah. And, and Neil, I, I hope you are safe down there in the Tampa area. Obviously, it's been um, a little bit of time since the hurricane has passed through there. But, um, yeah. you know, thinking about everybody in that area that are dealing with anything lingering um, from what you guys had to experience earlier this year. Uh, Garrett is next. Uh, while I don't want to overreact to beating a 2-6 and six football team this past week, there was a visible difference in offensive efficiency and overall urgency in the game. Hard to say if it's because of Parks, Frazier, or Jeff Saturday, or if it's because of Matt Ryan in the offensive line play. But do you think it would be a better scenario for the Colts to finish the season with four wins for draft position and have uncertainty at the head coaching position? Or is there merit to hoping the Colts finish well to gain confidence for the full-time hire of Jeff Saturday and traits of draft capital to get a quarterback in May? Thanks for the hard work and wishing you and your family well from Colorado. Same to you, Garrett. Happy Thanksgiving. Early Thanksgiving to uh, all of our listeners out there. Safe travels for wherever you guys are heading next week. Um, Okay, so the second party said... The confidence for the full-time hire of Saturday and then trade up for a QB? Yeah, one of those two. Which which scenario would you rather have? Boy, it's a great question. Um, or which scenario is the better scenario? Yeah, you know, if you can guarantee the head coaching hire and the trade up, which seems very lofty, that would be the better of the two. Again, I am so quarterback-centric and so quarterback-focused, but... I can't act like I'm naive. Eddie, I mean, how many times do you think quarterbacks drafted high have failed simply because of the coaching? That's a large part of it. Peyton Manning's got to be one of the few exceptions to have his head coach fire during his rookie contract and still succeed. Yeah. You're one of the very few. Um, You know, I think that is something that is a huge, huge part of all of this. Um you know, honestly, probably one of the better success stories could be like a Jalen Hurts type of situation mm-hmm. to where, you know, his head coach, and I know he wasn't drafted super high, 
But what Nick Sirianni's come in there and done, and what Shane Steich and their OC has done, it's been huge. Brian Johnson, their quarterbacks coach, um, who you know I think is gaining a little bit of steam around the NFL. Um, you know, as far as not re- overreacting to beating a two and six football team, did you see the stat going around on the Raiders' pass defense this year? I did not. So Patrick Mahomes is the NFL's all-time passer rating leader. I think it's like 106 for his career, uh-huh. something like that. The Raiders have allowed a 107 passer rating this season. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's like somehow Jeff Saturday, I know he like saved the NFL during the labor negotiations. He needs to try and get the Raiders on the schedule two more times this season. Think about that. Mm-hmm. They're allowing a the career high in the history of the NFL passer rating. They've done that through ten games this season. That's nuts. Because you look at it and you're like, wait, how? You know, do they have these seventeen point leads and are losing? How are they dropping these one score games? I mean, arguably they have the one of the best wideouts in football, one of the best running backs in football, one of the best defensive ends in football, and yet here they are. Um, so. Yeah, I probably am a little bit more quarterback centric, Garrett. But for you know, I'm not overlooking head coach, and we'll get more into this maybe during the bye week, Eddie. But when you look at the traits that you want out of the next head coach, the CEO leader is so prevalent on my mind. But so close behind that is that quarterback development. Yes, is to make sure that you have an offensive mind and system in place. And again, that's something that I thought was attractive about Frank Reich. It's that you always knew your offense was going to be stable. You, mm-hmm. you weren't going to lose it. Um, you know, you can lose it. And if you have the CEO, if Jeff Saturday's your head coach and Parks Frazier's your OC, just play out that hypothetical. Colts somehow draft whatever, Hendon Hooker. And two years into it, the Colts win an AFC South or two, then make a run to the AFC title game, and boom, Parks Frazier leaves to become the coach in Seattle. Now where's Jeff Saturday going for his offensive coordinator? How are you keeping Hendon Hooker on the right track? Do you just bump up the quarterback's coach? You know, at some point, you kind of run out of that. So it, that's something that I also think about with this coaching hire. Got to remember, too, he said he had his list of guys that he would want in this right? scenario, too. Also, Garrett, if you are uh, skiing at all, since you are in Colorado, be safe. It's a time, of, yes. time to Good ski. Point. Good point on that. Um, I got about 10 minutes. Let's sneak in um, however many we can get in that, okay. in that time frame. Uh, Brian is next. Uh, he says, a good team doesn't take back-to-back losses. Players coming back from injuries usually have big days. They usually don't have a great second game. Um, I think this will be a huge loss. I think he's referring to Quiddy Pay here. Uh, the next time we hear from Jim Ursay is after the Houston game or sooner. Rem- reminder, he only talks after wins. Yeah, I mean, I guess in reference to can the Colts string it together? You know, if that's where he was going yeah. on early on in that. Yeah. Um, I do think Sunday is kind of the best I probably felt after a Colts win this season, just in terms of how they played. You know, Kansas City, I thought it was so gift wrapped to them. Denver was just two just bad, bad football teams at that time. Jacksonville, it was like, and I don't know if this is true at all, but it almost seems like every team gets one no huddle win a year. We haven't used a no huddle, and it came out of nowhere, and boom, you didn't know how to react to it, and we won. Um, I thought Sunday was the best that the Colts have looked. Now, again, having said that, I mean, if Michael Pittman doesn't hustle his ass off, 
you probably lose that football game. Yeah. So, you know, it is a flawed football team. And it, Sunday was not the cure-all. And there are questions that you still have. And now it becomes more of a, can you repeat the performances? Can you string some together? And that is the biggest question. And it's probably the biggest leap that this team will have to take if they're going to do it this season. Uh, going back now to that press conference a week ago uh, with Jim Irsay, Jeff Saturday, and Chris Ballard. This is from Matt. Uh, wow, just wow on that presser. I don't think we needed to see uh, John Fox or Gus Bradley as the head coach uh, and how much would Bubba Ventrone bring schematically. But Jeff Saturday is an outside shot in the dark and maybe something this team needs to investigate deeper into what it ails but as a fan i don't think it was out of the realm of hope of contriteness and honesty if we got that the moves could be stomached better instead we got confusion venom and defensiveness i know you mentioned accountability in the past what would you have preferred to hear thanks again as always from matt yeah thank you matt for for that um yeah, I, I would echo a lot of what Matt just said. I think when those comments start to seep into how you view your franchise, that's when it's dangerous. Um, you know, I think Jim Irsay right now is running a very confused franchise. Not in lockstep. Um, you just never know what he's going to say or how he's going to react or what's going to happen. Yeah, um, You can find good actions out of that. And maybe Jeff Saturday will be one of those. But I think if you continually choose to act in that way, it's not ideal. And again, everything I say in this podcast comes from substance. And if I'm making some educated guess or some guess, I make that very, very clear. I think behind the scenes, there are a lot of people that are like, what is he doing? And again, I think there's a lot of evidence behind the scenes that points to that of just they lack stability at the top right now. And if that continues, what will happen? So I think that's kind of the concern that you have with that. You know, as far as the press conference, I just think from strictly like a PR statement, you know, in that moment, you just fire the head coach. Honesty and contriteness, Mm -hmm. I think it's got to be at the forefront of your message there. Yeah. And not trying to, you know, live in the past and the upper quartile and all of that. Um (laughs) live in a little bit more of reality i think your fan base wants to hear that and frankly i think your franchise needs to hear that upper quartile mm-hmm. bingo yep 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 bingo card yeah it uh, might be the free space kyle is ne- up next clearly last monday was a day in colts land not as quote franchise altering perhaps as the luck retirement but at least as strange or surprising right now his question kevin is a little bit more different than what most people are asking that's all being said as a sports writer do you live for days like this or are there days you hate or are these the days you hate to attempt to keep up with the rapid changes and are you envied by writers from other teams that don't get to cover such a hot mess of a team or do those writers envy you just looking for a little peek into the life thanks for taking my question uh, the old man way. I'll hang up and listen for your response on the pod. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate that. Yeah, that is kind of a different angle, um, Eddie. You know, there's that initial rush of people that crave that first content. That you know, this is so wild. This is so unprecedented. This is such an unknown. Um, 
I would prefer to save so much of that stuff for the offseason and kind of spread it out because, Eddie, the Colts are playing football games right now. I want to talk about the games. Like, yeah. I mean, that's what you live for. That's what Monday through, or excuse me, January through, you know, August is all about getting to those games. Um, and the NFL is such an incredibly entertaining product on the Thursday and Sunday and Mondays that the fact that that stuff has kind of taken a backseat recently, I just hate. Um, I love sports because the games are unscripted drama, well before the offseason drama. You know, I don't think you grow up as a fan initially thinking about free agency or firing of coaches or the draft. No, no, no. You initially watch because the game, that product, the 60 minutes. I mean, I'm really lucky right now. I'm watching my six-year-old nephew grow up into a sport fandom. We we took him to the Pacer game the other night. And when Miles Turner missed that three at the buzzer, like 90 second of just pure dejection out of him. First time I'd really seen him like emotionally invested. Yeah. And boy, I'm thinking he's reacting like that. And I've got dudes three rows behind me that are clapping, being like, entertaining loss. Exactly what we need. You know? And like, yeah, yes. But I also want to talk about the games. And, you know, you kind of feel that. That's why you get into the, or at least that's why I wanted to get into the business now once you're in the business obviously you got to cover it all and that's part of it but um again kyle there's the initial craze the initial rush but those numbers don't sustain the interest nobody wants to talk about mock drafts for 17 months right no one wants to talk about firing a head coach for two months like you want to have hope you want to you want to be in in the mix so um i would prefer much rather much rather prefer um for that drama to be either not happening or save it for the offseason Let's try and get these uh, two questions in uh, real quick before our prediction. David, uh, he asks, who is the starting quarterback for the first game next year? Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles, or another veteran retread from a different team? Uh, Quarterback from this year's draft, first, second, or third round, or quarterback from this year's draft, fourth round or later? Bonus, who is the starting quarterback at the end of next season? David, if I get these right, man, just ship me to Vegas. Just let me live there. I'll bathe in those Vegas pools. Unbelievable. Uh, boy, Matt Ryan's got to be the odds-on favor right now. That would be my pick. Wouldn't he? That would be my pick, yes. Drafted QB in the early rounds would probably qualify as next on the list. Yes. But yeah, I got And again, I know that might make some people sick. But what happened on Sunday? It was a win in a chaotic week. It also sent Matt Ryan skyrocketing up the chances to be the quarterback in 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if Jeff Saturday is your head coach. Jeff yeah. Saturday and Peyton Manning, like this, Eddie Garrison, Matt Ryan and Peyton Manning, very close as well. Add all that up. Bingo. Yeah. Uh, last one is from Gary. How much impact, if any, did the departure of Nick Sirianni and Matt Eberflus affect Frank Reich's firing? I have followed the Colts since 1984, and I don't recall them being, as for lack of a better term, mean-spirited about personnel. I feel like Jim Mercier has taken away some unnecessary digs at Frank Reich, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan. What are your thoughts? Love the show, gentlemen. Never miss an episode. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. Very loyal there. I would say the Sirianni one much more than Eberflus. I mean, the Colts defense has done pretty well under Gus Bradley here in year one. You know, listening to Sirianni today on that conference call, he would be number, he'd be very high. I don't act like, I don't know all the NFL coaches and 
Um, I've only heard bits and pieces of him. Sirianni would be very high on my list of coach to get a beer with. Yep. And I just think, I thought he'd be in over his head in Philly, but I thought he delegated beautifully, did not become the play caller, delegated really well. Um, the thing that I went on a lot of Philly radio in that week after he got hired, and obviously the press conference, you know, Philly fans are freaking out about, I'm like, he will instantly connect with players. That will not be a concern. And honestly, I probably needed to see that, Eddie, to reinforce the CEO leader that I've kind of always thought about. But seeing Sirianni and watch how he acted here. Like, watch this game on Sunday. Nick Sirianni and Kenny Moore are going to be chirping at each other. Nick Sirianni and DeForest Buckner are going to be chirping at each other. He's got that with guys on the Colts' defense. And I think players gravitate towards that. I think you heard that from Paris Campbell when we had him on uh, earlier. Uh, In conclusion... As we do on every Wednesday, finally on a Wednesday, yes, we get to make a prediction. Colts, Eagles, we do. Um, I should have already had this looked up on the spread and the total. So give me like one second. Six or six and a half. Last I saw, um, I really think the Colts have a blueprint to do something. I'm seeing six and a half, and the total at forty three and a half. It's about executing that blueprint. Is probably where my bigger question comes. Um, the pass rush to me has not shown the ability to close out a game. I think Jalen Hurts makes a play with his legs late, keeps something alive. Um, and I've got the Eagles 27 23. But the Colts have an ability to do what Washington did on Monday. I, I'm thinking about this game in a much different light than I would have a month ago, certainly even a week ago. You said Eagles 27 23? 27 23, Eagles. Two losses in a row. Really? Yes. Give me a score, Eddie Garrison. I'm going to go 27-23 the other way. Whoa. Interesting. Okay. Hey, you lay a little scratch on that. You know full well you can get some pretty good money on that. Yeah. Uh, I just I just feel like that run defense of the Indianapolis Colts is able to contain Miles Sanders. Yeah. That loss of Dallas Goddard is going to be very, very big and impactful for that Phillies offense. and. I think if the the secondary can scheme up some things to confuse Jalen Hurts, you may get him to force the ball, get a turnover. Like we've talked about, the Colts have the blueprint to run the football against the Eagles. Just have to monitor the injury report. You know, I think that, and then when you say the blueprint, a key element to it as well, and we'll end with this, you can play the ball control. you got to finish off those drives. Washington finished them off. You, you can't just, you know, possess it, and then Chase McLaughlin runs out there for a 32-yarder. So Jeff Saturday's aggression with that will be something to keep an eye on. Eddie Garrison, have a great week. Everybody have a great week. Uh, we'll talk to you on Monday to recap Colts and Eagles.